0: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre sales to select campus events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk bentley Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids, Bob Kids, Megan trainer Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25 until now through May 14th. Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
1: Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh?
0: Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh my
1: God. <laughs> ah, love
0: that. A redwood forest would be cool. I mean,
1: Ah, ski slopes. Let's
0: do it. Um, tenor girl goes shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait.
1: Did we just invent California?
0: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. The volume.
2: Just a reminder that you can catch me recording this podcast live on AMP. AMP is the new live radio app that lets you call in and chat with me in person while I'm recording. Get the app on Apple's App Store and make sure you follow me at Chris Mannix to get notified when I go live. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, Somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast. Now we're going to welcome in everybody listening live on AMP. You can always get the first listen of this show at all the volume shows on AMP. Make sure you subscribe to the volume feed on AMP. Subscribe to my feed on AMP at Chris Mannix as well. Got a great show lined up for you this week. Eddie Hearn, the promoter of record for this weekend's Lee Wood. Uh, fight against Josh Warrington over in the UK. He joins me to talk about that fight, plus uh, he always has a few opinions on everything else that's going on in the world of boxing. We'll get to that a little bit later, but it was a busy weekend in boxing. Canelo Alvarez successfully defended his 168-pound titles. What's the future for him? What's the future for Jermel Charlo, who, quite frankly, didn't show up in this fight, I thought it was an embarrassing performance by Jermell Charlo, who talked a good game, believe, you know, made us believe or made pe- some people believe he was going to win or at least compete, and then just moved around the ring for 12 rounds to survive mm-hmm. a decision. We'll talk about that and much more with Keith Ideck, senior writer with BoxingScene.com. He was out in Las Vegas, and Keith, let's just start there. Um, compare. Your expectations for Canelo Charlo with how the fight played out, what did you think of the way that fight uh, played out in the
3: ring? Chris, I'm not in any way surprised that Canelo Alvarez won. Of course, Charlo was moving up two weight classes. Canelo, although he hadn't looked all that great in his previous three fights, said you know repeatedly that he would look better because his surgically repaired left wrist was now 100%. He could train with it, et cetera. So I felt like Canelo would win the fight, but I did think, honestly, it was going to be a competitive fight. And the thing that really surprised me more than anything, Chris, which I think you know you just alluded to, is Jermell Charlo simply did not come to win this fight. He seemed to come to go 12 rounds with Canelo to avoid getting knocked out. Um, and that the reason that surprised me more than anything, Chris, is because that's not who Jermell Charlo is. That's not who he has been throughout his career. He has fought and and. Uh, promoted his fights, and done interviews with a, a chip on his shoulder that never goes away, and it has served him very well because he's always been defiant and disproving sometimes imaginary enemies, but you know he has always used that to motivate him. And in this case, he really didn't. I thought that he would be able to flip that switch on fight night, although throughout the promotion, he sort of behaved the way that he behaved once the bell rang. Like, he didn't really believe that he could win the fight and that, you know, this might have been uh, too too much for him in the sense that he was moving up two weight classes and fighting a big puncher and a dangerous guy. And that's the way he approached the entire fight. You know, Derek James was on him between rounds. Hey, you're losing this fight. You need to do more. You need to pick it up. And he just never really responded to that. And again, I, I can't really emphasize enough, Chris, how surprised I am that he didn't try to win because... Um, you know, this is a very prideful guy. This is a guy, again, who has, you know, repeatedly uh, proved people wrong or tried to prove people wrong and use that as a way to to drive him to great heights. Because, Chris, he's the undisputed 154-pound champion, the first one of the four-belt era. He has avenged his the two blemishes or the two previous blemishes on his record. He's avenged both of those. He knocked out Tony Harrison in their rematch. Um, And although in his first fight against Tony Harrison, I didn't really think that he lost. It was a very close competitive fight. Didn't necessarily think that he lost, but he came back and avenged it with an 11th round knockout. You could certainly argue that he lost his first fight to Brian Castaño, but then came back and knocked Castaño out as well in his rematch. So he had taken care of the two blemishes on his record. This is just something that's just going to, you know, it's... It's a blemish on his record that is never going to be a, to go away, and it might unfortunately be for him the fight that people remember him for most because he just did not come to make this a competitive fight, and there's really no excuse for that. Unless he was hurt and he's not using that as an excuse, unless his left hand really wasn't 100% because it was his first fight since he broke two bones in his left hand last December – Unless that was a factor and he's just not using that as an excuse, which would be commendable to hide that if that is the case, just didn't look like he came to win the fight. And and there's really no two ways about that. I don't really see how you could have seen that any other way. I spoke to Tim Zhu yesterday, did an interview with him for his upcoming fight with Brian Mendoza, and he echoed – we basically agreed on everything that Tim Zhu said. And he felt he – was, he was less harsh on Charlo than I thought he was going to be, honestly, because they have this rivalry. But he said the same thing. He was just surprised – that we didn't get the A-level uh, Charlo that we've gotten in most of his fights uh, and the uh, kind of um, you know tenacious, ferocious guy that we usually see.
2: Yeah, Charlo wants credit for going the distance. He doesn't get it in my book. He wants credit for not getting knocked out. He doesn't get it in my book. If you take on a challenge like this, I don't care if you move up one-way class, two-way classes, three-way classes, you have an obligation to try to win. Like People are paying money to see you try to win. People are buying, spending 85 bucks on pay-per-view to see you try to win. He didn't do that. And I agree with you. When his career's over, you know, if it ends, if it's career ended tomorrow, this would be the fight he's remembered for, for going up to weight classes and quote, challenging Canelo Alvarez, but not really challenging him. Um, I'm not surprised that Canelo dominated. I'll say that Keith, because I've been saying that for, since that fight was made, I'd never believed Jermel Charlo could compete with Canelo because And I say this about every Canelo opponent. To be competitive or to beat Canelo Alvarez, you have to throw with him. You have to be willing to let the right hand go. And since like 2018, when Canelo became this sort of middleweight and above destroyer, only two fighters have done that. Uh, Gennady Golovkin has done it and Dimitri Bivol has done it. Both those guys have been willing to throw punches with Canelo. They have not been fearful of the artillery that was coming back. But every opponent other than that that I've seen Canelo go up against, whether it's Callum Smith, uh, Billy Joe Saunders had a different game plan, but eventually Billy Joe kind of succumbed to it. And now Jermell Charlo, they just, you know, they were trying to, Caleb Plant I put on that list as well. They were just trying to jab and, and you know, move and and try to outbox him from the outside. You can't do that. You you can't beat Canelo Alvarez unless you're willing to throw something big back against him. And you know, Jamel Charlo was kind of a, a a oversized example of of that, you know, just the way he fought was just, I thought just awful, just just a a really weak performance from Jamel. But a kind of a continuation of guys that, you know show up believing they have a game plan to face and beat canelo Alvarez, but they just they just don't. and And that kind of brings me to my my next question, Keith of who does at this point? Um, you know, I, I think we'd all agree, David Benavidez... At least on paper, is the most competitive option for Canelo Alvarez. I don't know if he's a realistic option for May of 2024. Terrence Crawford's out there saying he wants a piece of Canelo. I love Terrence Crawford. I think it's a marketable fight, but you're not going to convince me Terrence Crawford's going to stand in the pocket and trade with Canelo Alvarez. I just don't believe it. Jamal Charlo, don't get me started. I don't. I, th- there's no. There's no market for a Jamal, a Jamal Charlo, uh, Canelo Alvarez fight. Less so after watching Jamel, the smaller brother and the more active brother, uh, you know, lose to Canelo. What, what is realistic right now for Canelo Alvarez as we look to the second fight of this PBC deal?
3: Chris, well, the last time we spoke about this on the podcast, uh, I remember telling you that the people who wanted to see him fight Terrence Crawford next better hope that the Jamel Charlo fight is at least competitive because then how do you sell a fight against an even smaller opponent mm-hmm. in his next fight? And here we are. I'm not saying Terrence Crawford won't go in there to win. He certainly, based on everything that I know about Terrence Crawford, yet I also thought similar things about Jamel Charlo, I would think Terrence Crawford would go in there with a real uh, you know, real attempt to win the fight. I mean, he's got a lot of pride. He's a very talented guy. He's one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world, coming off an incredibly dominant career-defining win. But like you said earlier, Chris, when you get in there and you fight Canelo and he starts touching you in the beginning of the fight, people tend to realize, well, this is going to be harder than I thought. Canelo said that throughout fight week last week. He said, watch when the fight starts and and then you'll see Jermel Charlo realize that he's in there with a guy that he hasn't, the type of guy that he hasn't been in the ring with before. And that obviously played out. Um, The same thing could be true of Crawford. Now, It is a marketable fight, Chris, and I think the public reaction to it, to me, has been somewhat surprising because it's been relatively positive. People want to see this fight. I can't stress enough. This guy would have to move up 21 pounds to fight Canelo because Canelo has repeatedly said, I am not doing this at a catchweight. It's not going to be at 164, 162, something where you might then think that Terrence Crawford has more of a chance to win. I I really don't see as great as Terrence Crawford is, and as much as I commend him for wanting this challenge, I don't see this as a fight that he can win. So, you know, Shakur Stevenson said the other day when we had an open workout with him in Las Vegas, and he was, you know, he told a couple of really good stories about, you know, underestimating Terrence or, 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 you know, at your own peril, underestimate Terrence Crawford. He said he saw him spar a heavyweight one time and Kind of made the heavyweight take a knee. and I'm not saying those things didn't happen. I'm just saying that when you get in there with 10-ounce gloves and no headgear against a guy who can crack the way that Canelo can, and a guy who now apparently is the 100% version of him that we hadn't seen in a couple of years, really, um, it, it's a very tall order. Although they're the same height, it's a very tall order for Terrence Crawford. But I do think, unfortunately, that as much as I don't think that this fight will be competitive in the way that some people might believe it will be, I do think that's going to be the next fight for Canelo Alvarez because I do not think, assuming David Benavidez beats Demetrius Andrade, and that's not an easy fight for Benavidez, but I don't get excited. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I, do think, I do think that David Benavidez will win. And then would obviously be in position to fight Canelo in what would be a massive event on Cinco de Mayo weekend. Canelo already said that he's coming back May 4th of next year. Uh, it would be an enormous event, and but that would be the second of his three-fight deal. And it's my understanding that the Benavidez fight, assuming Canelo keeps winning, would be the third fight of his deal with PBC. Again, assuming that David Benavidez keeps winning And then Benavidez is kind of in a weird position because let's say he beats Demetrius Andrade on November 25th. Does he then want to wait almost nine months or 10, I guess it would be 10 months. Yeah. 10 months before he would fight Canelo. And that's again, assuming that Canelo continues to win, you know, a lot of factors, a lot of things could go wrong and screw that up. We've seen that many times, but I do think at this point, I'm not sure that Crawford fights Spence again because if he demands, as he has done so far, if he demands that their fight is at 147 pounds, that rematch probably won't happen because Errol Spence cannot safely or smartly make 147 pounds because it just takes too much out of him, and I don't think he wants to do that again. If they fought at 160 pounds, I think Terrence Crawford wins decisively. It, It doesn't really seem to matter. But if that rematch is not at 154 pounds, it might just go away. And then Crawford would be free to fight Canelo next. And that very well could be the way that it plays out.
2: Let me tell you something, Keith. You were skeptical of my opinion that Crawford, or sorry, that uh, Charlo against Canelo was going to be completely uncompetitive. I I didn't believe that. I said it many times over and over. I want you to believe me when I say. That Demetrius Andrade beats David Benavidez. If David Benavidez, this, this fight sounds like it's a done deal. If David Benavidez fights Demetrius Andrade, 168 pounds, he is going to lose. He is going to lose that fight. He's going to have to rematch Demetrius Andrade. And we are no longer talking about Benavidez against Canelo. Andrade is going to be the one that is talked about fighting Canelo in May of 2024. A fight that Andrade has been chasing for the better part of the last five years. He's going to get it. Because he's going to beat David Benavidez. Calling my shot right now. October 3rd as we record this. Andrade over Benavidez. Unanimous decision victory.
3: Well, I hope Adam keeps this one in the archives. Um, look, Demetrius <laughs> Andrade is not is not an easy guy to fight. Of course. You know, Demetrius is, is an elite level. From a skill perspective, is an elite level fighter. Um, Benavidez is a big, strong kid. I would expect him to win the fight. Uh it's not going to be easy, but I do think he'll win the fight. And if Andrade wins, yeah, he, he would then be in line to fight Canelo, and Canelo would have no reason, of course, then not to fight him because he beat the guy that everyone wanted to see him fight. It, mm-hmm. it, it's bad for business, and this is no knock on Demetrius Andrade, very a good dude and you know deserves his, his big fight and all that kind of stuff, but it's bad for business if he beats Benavidez because Benavidez, Canelo, or know, Benavidez is the fight that everyone would want to see in that division with a guy who is still uh, and will continue to be the biggest star in American boxing. So um, interesting fight on November 25th for sure. Uh, you know, Boo can he's he's a talented guy, man. But he's a, you know, a little he's on the back end of his career. He's a little older now. Say uh Benavidez is more of a natural 68-pounder than him. Uh, so I don't expect it to be easy for Benavidez, but um, if he wins, he defenses he's got a lot of incentive to win the fight because there's a big bag of money awaiting him if he does fight Canelo, assuming that's where he would go after that. But um, I don't know, Chris. I, I Look, we'll, we'll bet some dinner from that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I big I,
2: big I mistake, David. Big mistake. You and Samson Lukowitz are making a huge mistake booking this fight with so much on the line. You should have taken any other fight but Demetrius Andre. Demetrius Andre. yes, he's been a long-time 160, but you know this, Keith. He's a huge 160. He, he's going to be... I don't think the size disparity is gonna be that big between David Benavidez and Demetrius Andrade at their way. And on fight night, I don't think it's going no. to be that big. I think Andrade's a big dude.
3: And and yeah, and they're basically the same height. I mean Benavidez seems taller than I think he's really only six one, but he looks bigger than that. They're around mm. the same height. I mean, Andrade might be a, a tinch smaller than him, but they're around the same height and Demetrius has filled out well. Um an interesting fight, like I said, Chris. I mean, it's not a gimme for in no way, shape, or form for David Benavidez. So I uh, look forward to that fight on November 25th. But if I, I just think he's fighting, whatever happens, November 25th, I think he's fighting Crawford. Even if Benavidez wins, as I expect him to win, I do think there's a lot of momentum for this Canelo Crawford fight. As much as I don't really think it, it, it won't be it won't be Canelo Charlo because I, I really think that Crawford will come to win the fight. I I, I mm-hmm. really can't, Chris. I, I know I've said this already, but it's really just perplexing to me on the Tuesday after the fight happened that Charlo performed the way that he did, because that's just not the way he's built. I, I don't get what happened there. And he really uh you know, he got out jabbed in this fight by Canelo, and his jab is one of his best weapons. And he, you know, he flicked it out there and all but Canelo out even out jabbed him, went to his body, you know, stalked him the entire fight, put him on his back foot. There was just no point where I saw over the course of twelve rounds the Jamel Charlo that I've seen for for the better part of the last, you know, nine years or whatever long, it's been eight, nine years. I just didn't see that guy, even in the, I I wanted to bring this up, Chris, even in the post-fight press conference, when he lost to Tony Harrison, again, it was a close fight that could have gone either way. Jamel Charlo cried in that press conference because it meant so much to him that he lost his WBC title and it, and it got to him so much that he suffered his first professional defeat. He cried during the press conference. During the post-fight press conference on Saturday, he was laughing and joking around. And look, I, I, I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy seeing a different side of Jamel Charlo. And, you know, he was easier to deal with and all that stuff. But the guy who was edgy and would tell you to F off if you asked him how he was doing, we needed that guy to fight Canelo Alvarez, and that guy was nowhere to be found for the last two-plus months. It, it was bizarre.
2: Yeah, it was crazy, and it, it's something that's going to stick with him. I don't know what he does next. Uh, he'll go back to well,
3: 154, he, but, I mean. Chris, that that's the other thing I think that was at okay. here. I mean, I think if you're him and you go into this fight moving up 2 weight classes, taking a risk, of course, but if you also have – He feels the WBO screwed him by stripping him of the title as soon as he walked into the ring. But he did owe this fight to Tim Zui. He did. He took the money and the opportunity, which no one could blame him for doing. But there were some consequences for it. So now he doesn't have the WBO title. But he still has the IBF, WBA, and WBC titles. He still says he comfortably makes 154 pounds. So for him, if you had this option, you kind of had nothing literally nothing to lose here. Because you're expected to lose this fight, yet if you lose, you can just go back down and defend at least three of your titles. And with Tim Zhu fighting Brian Mendoza in a couple of weeks, he would then just fight the winner to again become the undisputed 154-pound champion. That's a great alternative, a great option to have, a great thing to have in your back pocket, knowing that if you lose this fight, okay, I still go back down to my real weight class, and I'm viewed as the undisputed champion. And if Tim Zhu wins... Why couldn't they convince Jamel Charo to go to Australia to fight him? Why not? I mean, that's where it would make the most money. And he said in the press conference, he said, look, he might not be able to get up for the winner of Mendoza, Tim Zoo because it's not as big a fight as Canelo. He didn't really seem to get up for the Canelo fight, but, um, <laughs> but – it would make him a lot of money if he if Tim Zhu beats Brian Mendoza, and that doesn't seem like it's going to be an easy fight now based on how Brian Mendoza has looked over the last year or so. But if Tim Zhu, the favorite fighter, wins, then Zhu against Charlo was again a big fight. And if they do it in Australia, I mean, Charlo's back in business at 154 pounds with probably that huge chip on his shoulder again because people are criticizing him for the way that he fought against Canelo.
2: Yeah, a lot of money he could make in Australia too. That'd be like a stadium fight out there, uh, and would certainly do bigger business. I think in the U.S., there just isn't a, kind of a marketplace, at least a, a big venue for Charlo Zoo. No matter how good a fight that it is, I'd love to see him go on the road and and take that fight. That'd be a fun uh, a fun experience. The other one of the other stories, Keith, to come out of Vegas was the future of Showtime Boxing, Showtime Pay Per View. Obviously, the provider for Canelo against Charlo. They've got more pay-per-views coming up, most notably Andrade against Benavidez. Uh, I know, don't want to put you in a tough spot, obviously, boxing scene, part of the Paramount umbrella, you know, working underneath all that. But I didn't hear anything to make me feel like the rumors of Showtime's exit from boxing are not true. I listened to all the interviews Steven Espinoza did. He, He talked about how they do have stuff coming up on the schedule, which is accurate. They are going to put on the the zoo Mendoza fight. They're going to have a couple of pay per views most likely before the end of the year. But you know, it, it certainly sounded to me, Keith, like the if the exit isn't right there, the exit date isn't right there and known. It's coming uh, for Showtime Boxing. What what can you tell us about kind of the the future of Showtime Boxing?
3: It's my understanding, Chris, that. Uh, We have the Mendoza or Zoo Mendoza fight on October 14th, which is uh, technically a Showtime Championship boxing show, although it's really just them televising the fight from uh, the main broadcaster in Australia. That is uh, a Showtime Championship boxing date on the 14th of October. There will then not be another Showtime show, as far as I know, until the uh, Benavidez-Andrade pay-per-view fight on November 25th. They're also planning a Showtime championship boxing show for December 9th. And I think that will be it for the rest of the year. And then who knows? I mean, you know, hearing a lot of things internally, externally, it uh, doesn't look like the future of Showtime boxing um, is good. Uh, you know, it's it's been uh, a prominent American premium cable provider for boxing over the last five years since uh, – its rival HBO went out of the business. They've had a really good run this particular year. And you know, they've done a lot of good fights over the last five years since HBO got out of boxing as well. But this year in particular, from a pay-per-view standpoint, although the fights haven't unfolded that way in the ring, all the big fights have happened that people wanted to see between Gervonta Davis, Ryan Garcia, uh, Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence Jr., and now not a Everyone was clamoring for Canelo, Jamel Charlo, but Canelo was now in the fold for a three-fight deal with PBC, and this was the first fight of that. Things seem to be going about as well as they could have gone in 2023. I'm not sure uh, if the decision hadn't already been made at the top of, of uh, Paramount Food Chain to, uh, in terms of its the company's future in boxing. And again, like you said, uh, Paramount Global owns BoxingScene.com, and I'm a Paramount Global employee, but... Um, I'm certainly not privy to what the the people at the tippy top are discussing in, in, uh, in these meetings, but, uh, so we're all just waiting to find out what actually happens. I would say, um, there's not a lot of optimism right now that it's going to move forward in 2024, the way that it, that it did in 2023. Although there is one more year left on showtime's deal with, uh, premier boxing champions. Um, they would have to pay, uh, the company would have to pay Al Heyman, uh, a substantial sum of money to uh, get out of the last year of the deal. Maybe they'll see it as, as worthwhile to do that. I, again, I, I don't know, you know, what high level executives in our company feel is a lot of money. I mean, because, you know, certainly a lot of, a lot of money to me, but maybe not in the grand scheme of it all for a, a you know, a company that's worth tens and tens of billions of dollars might view this differently. So uh, we're just waiting, Chris, we're all just waiting to find out uh, what the future of uh, boxing on Showtime is, and then, of course, where PBC would go uh, thereafter to, as its primary platform to, to uh, televise or stream boxing. Um, you would think that Al Heyman, no matter what happens with Showtime, let's just say Showtime stays in boxing for 2024, he would need another partner the way that he had Fox as a partner because he has so many fighters either under contract or under uh, verbal agreements with him. Uh, You would think he would need another content provider because he has so many fighters to service anyway. But, um, you know, again, as we sit here and do this podcast on Tuesday morning, October 3rd, Chris, we just don't know yet. And uh, we just have to wait.
2: Yeah, the only thing I would add is uh, I do know that PBC has talked to Amazon. Uh, I believe that's their preferred destination, they prefer to do a deal with Amazon. Amazon has gotten into sports uh, more than other streaming services over the last couple of years. NFL football, You know, they've done some sports talk shows, things like that. I know there have been discussions between PBC and Amazon. I don't know what Amazon is looking to do. Are they are looking to become a Showtime-like boxing provider? Are they looking to do one-off shows? I don't know the answer to that question, but there has been dialogue between PBC officials and and Amazon. I will say this too, Keith, it is, it's just kind of depressing. You know, people that celebrate Showtime's exit are just assholes. Like, honestly, like Showtime's done a great job, you know, over, you know, 35 plus years at broadcasting boxing. Anytime a provider like that, you know, goes out, it's not good for boxing. But it's depressing that, you know, boxing just can't seem to make it work, right? On, On American television, it just can't seem to find a, a, a sustainable, functional, thriving model. And that's bizarre to me, mostly because I know they're different entities, but sports broadcasting rights are gold right now. I mean, the NBA is going to collect billions. The NFL just collected billions. The NHL, when their contracts are up, are going to collect billions. Hell, UFC, when their deal is up in a couple of years, the SPN, they are going to make a fortune on a new rights deal. Meanwhile, with boxing, over the last five years, HBO's gone out, Showtime's gone out. Fox has gone out. Some of these smaller outlets, whether it's Spike or Bounce, NBC has has gone out with their deal. Um, now we're left. It, look, is hey, still in it, but they're raising prices. You know, they're they're uh, certainly trying to make as much money as they can uh, on off subscribers at this point. And ESPN, we'll see what ESPN does in a couple of years. When you know when they have to pay all this money for NBA rights and for UFC rights. I mean, it's just. You know, I, I keep seeing everybody's like, boxing's in the best place. Ben's having a great year. Sure, that may be true, but if it was in this great place, you would have networks and streaming services dying to get in business. But the fractured nature of it, Keith, is just, uh, it, it's it, its not good. It's not a good landscape right now for uh, for boxing because you don't have providers eager to get in business with the sport. And I think thats okay. that's a problem. Yeah, you know,
3: Chris, the, the surprising thing, to some degree anyway, is that boxing is cheap in comparison to other sports, like, like you mentioned, the NBA, which, frankly, these rights fees are, are they're grossly overpaying for these rights fees because they're just not making a real return on their investment. And I think mm-hmm. some of these high-level TV executives are starting to realize that with, uh, you know, the NFL might be a little different, but most other sports, they've overpaid for these licenses. But boxing uh, is comparatively cheap. And you would think that people, you know, that uh, television executives, streaming executives would view it as such and continue uh, to televise it. But it all comes down to how many viewers it's doing. And um, if they just don't see the juice as worth the squeeze, they're just going to eliminate it like anything else. I mean, it's not it's not hard to figure out, I guess. I mean, it is, it is, if you, especially for guys, I know Chris, you cover the NBA as well, but you know, I make a living exclusively covering boxing now and it's not positive for the future of the sport uh, for HBO to have gone out of boxing five years ago and now potentially Showtime going out of boxing. Uh, You know, Fox was involved, which was good for the sport because it was available to more people just by it being on broadcast television. Uh, And now, like you said, ESPN has, uh, a little less than two years left on its deal with top rank. And if for whatever reason that deal is not renewed, which who knows, um, you know, then you would have gone from having boxing on ESPN, Fox, Showtime, uh, DAZN here in the U.S. to potentially DAZN. If zone stays in boxing, I mean, it's it, it's then what? You know, then where is boxing in terms of how you view it? Um, you know, the pay-per-view model has been, uh, destructive to to the sport to some extent. Um, you know, you put all the best fights on pay per view, and people don't like if you. Here's a good example, Chris. If you're a hardcore boxing fan and you buy a lot of the pay per views, I know a lot of younger people in particular find a way to stream it or steal it, however you want to frame it. Um, but if you paid $85 on Saturday night, you couldn't come away from that feeling good because you feel like one of the B side of the main event didn't really try to win. And the, unfortunately uh, what was uh, billed as and and rightfully so was billed as a great undercard. I mean, there were three very good matchups, you know, the co-feature between Erickson Lubin and, and Jesus Ramos was uh, a very dull fight. And also one of the most perplexing decisions I've seen in quite some time because one of the judges scored nine rounds for Erickson Lubin when uh, he lost the fight. So, um, you know, so you wouldn't come away from the the first fight was amazing, by the way. I don't know if you you know watched the whole thing. I did, yeah. The, the Elijah Garcia uh Armando Resendis fight was a dog fight that uh Elijah Garcia won by a knockout eventually. And that that was a, an excellent fight. The Ugas Barrios fight was reasonably entertaining. Uh but point being, if you spent eighty five bucks primarily to see Canelo fight Jamel Charlo, you would be pretty pissed off. And rightfully so.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um I would say add one more thing about Amazon. If I just my take on Amazon. If they do want to get into boxing, um, don't do an exclusive deal with anybody. Uh, I think exclusive deals have been a major problem for boxing over the years because it has shrunk the pool of of available fights and available uh, just available shows. I think if you're Amazon, you know and look. A boxing budget for Amazon is nothing. But let's say, let's hypothetically say they threw, say, we're gonna throw two hundred million dollars a year into boxing. That, that's nothing. They they pay billions for Thursday night football on, on uh, for, to the NFL. If they were say to say we have two hundred million dollars a year for boxing, hire somebody to oversee that and say, look, if you're a promoter and you want to do fights on our network or on our streaming service, you know, pitch the fight to, you know, tell pitch me a good fight. Don't give me, uh, you know bad fights just because we have to get, provide you with 10, 12, 14 fights per year. That doesn't work. It's proven it doesn't work. I think Amazon is an opportunity because they can afford to throw a couple hundred million at boxing and do some good things, do some big things. And I'd love to see them try something new because they're one of the few entities out there with the budget to do that. So we'll see what Amazon does uh, in the future. I think they're a player to watch uh, in all this. couple things before I let you go, Keith. The Fury-Usyk fight is signed. We don't know the exact date of it. Fury's got to get through Francis Nogano first. Maybe it's late December, possibly the first couple of months of 2024. My immediate takeaway from that fight, Keith, was Tyson Fury is just laughing all the way to the bank. Like, Tyson Fury took a lot of heat, you know, over the summer for making this deal with Francis Nogano. People said he should have been stripped. People, you know, said this fight should never happen. He was making a mockery. People believed him when he said he was, you know, gonna fight John Jones and and do all these exhibition-type fights. Now, He's going to get a big bag to fight Francis Ngannou in a fight that he frankly can't lose. And then he's going to fight Alexander Usyk in what I believe is a two-fight deal. I've had people on both sides tell me this is a two-fight deal uh, for these guys and probably make a boatload of money uh, for that. So, look, Usyk is a winner because Usyk's going to get a chance to unify the titles, no question. But I think Tyson Fury is the big winner in all this, Keith. He he is going to make a lot of money from the Saudis to fight Francis Ngannou, and Alexander Usyk. Uh so I think the the criticism he took and the wait for this fight was probably worth it.
3: Yeah, and look, he's <laughs> he's going to be very active here over the next few months, Chris. I don't I I don't know that December twenty third is realistic. and that, if this, I don't either. If the Singano fight goes, let's just say it goes ten rounds, or who, who knows what's going to happen. I don't really see it as being all that. Based on the footage I've seen of Francis Singanu, uh boy. <laughs> I don't see that being remotely <laughs> competitive. Uh, I think Tyson Fury will basically toy with him and then just, you know, of course, try to get a try to avoid getting hit with one of those big right hands because the guy can punch. I've had people uh, who've been in the gym with him in Vegas tell me over the last couple of weeks that this guy really can crack like at a Deontay Wilder level. Uh, I don't know if that's possible exactly, but he can really punch. He's a big, strong dude, but he has. Virtually no idea how to box, based on what I've seen, unless they were trying to lure Tyson Fury in by making him think that he's that terrible. I mean, he looked pretty fundamentally uh, awful, is the best way to put it. So I don't really expect that to be much more than kind of just like Tyson Fury moving around the ring and picking apart Francis Ngannou and... The biggest thing, of course, is that he doesn't come away from that with any injuries, any cuts, or anything, because of course that would push the Usyk fight back. But even if he if he comes out of it completely healthy and goes the full ten rounds with Francis Ngannou, it's less than two months later. It's two days before Christmas. I don't know how much that matters in Saudi, you know, whatever. But it, but it's probably too quick of a turnaround. The way Bob Aram explained it to me is as long as they do the fight before uh, Ramadan starts, which I believe is March tenth. It's fine with the people who are putting up the money. And look, they, they're putting up the money, so they call the shots. They do whatever they want, which is why, according to what Bob told me the other day, why it was announced on Friday, they, you know, they had the deal done. They wanted to make the announcement Friday morning. Bob said, ah, I could have waited till after the fight because now you have this, you know, we don't really think all that much of Francis Ngannou if we're announcing his next fight. That's never a good way to go about it in terms of promoting this upcoming fight that they've also spent a lot of money on. Uh, Bob would have preferred them to just you know, announce it in the ring after the fight or something like that. But they're paying all the money, so they get to call the shots and dictate how it goes. Bob kind of felt like Al Heyman would be angry with him uh, because they announced it the day before the Canelo-Charlo fight. Uh, he said that was not his call, and he didn't really do this on purpose. Uh, it was the Saudis' decision to do it anyway. Um, it's great for Tyson Fury to answer your question. He's going to make an enormous amount of money for this Engano event. He is then going to make an enormous amount of money again, one fight, two fights, whatever it is, with with Alexander Usyk. And we're getting to see the fight that we wanted to see in the heavyweight division that should have already happened, but better late than never, right? Because we're finally going to get, barring a no contest or a draw, the fully unified heavyweight champion for the first time in the four-belt era.
2: And again, we might see, if the fight's competitive, we could see two versions of it. We could see two fights back-to-back, which would be a heck of a run for Tyson Fury to go from a, a easy fight with Degano to two fights with Alexander Usek that could be legacy defining uh for him. Uh last thing, also announced this week, uh Ryan Garcia back December 2nd. He is going to face Oscar Duarte, uh, I believe in Texas. I, I was I'm not surprised that. That Garcia's back, and you know this has been a fight in talks for a while now. November eighteenth was the first date that was discussed for Ryan Garcia. Now it's moved to December second. I am a little bit surprised, Keith, that he's fighting Oscar Duarte. Uh, one of the other names that was in the water supply was Pedro Campa, and that made a little more sense to me. Campa, uh, you know, he, he's fought you know guys like Teofimo Lopez before, but he doesn't have a lot of power, and he's been outclassed at one forty. Duarte is a hundred and thirty five pounder, but he is physical. Like he's a guy that's going to bring the fight. to Ryan Garcia, maybe he gets knocked out, right? Maybe Ryan counterpunches him in the way that he's counterpunched a lot of guys in his career. But this is a, a, I think, a tougher-than-expected fight, maybe, at least in my mind, for Ryan Garcia in his debut at 140. How do you see uh, Garcia Duarte?
3: Well, Duarte's on a nice run. He's won 11 fights in a row since suffering his only loss. But he is a 135-pounder. And if Ryan Garcia is a 140-pound fighter, I would at some point like to see him fight I don't know, 140 pound fighter um, because he has now fought Javier Fortuna. Now the tank fight, of course, it was at 136 pounds at the catch weight. It was the biggest fight of the year. and No problems with that. But otherwise he hasn't fought 140 pounder and he's, he is a 140 pounder now. So uh, I don't like that part of it, but he, Duarte is kind of the level of opponent that I expected him to come back against. It's his first fight with Derek James as his trainer. It's his first fight coming off his first defeat. I have no problem with the level of opponent. I just again would have preferred it to be against a real 40-pounder because assuming he wins this fight, there are some very big fights for him in the 140-pound division. You know, the winner of uh Haney prograde, Mo mm-hmm. Lopez, which should be a cross-promotional type of fight, but a fight that the public would be very interested in. Um So, you know, my short answer to this all is I would prefer to see him fight 140 pounder, but have no problem with the level of opponent that he's fighting. And this is the biggest opportunity far and away of Oscar Duarte's life, because frankly, he hasn't fought anybody. Um, This is a huge opportunity, a potentially life changing opportunity for him. So I would expect him to, you know, to really go to go for it in this fight. And he is dangerous a little bit because he can punch. Um, So, you know. We'll see what happens here, but hopefully we'll see maybe some improvements in Ryan Garcia because it is his first fight with Derek James as his trainer, and then uh, in the, maybe the first quarter or first third of next year, we'll see him against the top 140 pounder.
2: Do you think he gets a title fight in his next fight if he beats Duarte on December second? I know Golden Boy has tried to, you know, align themselves with that WBA belt. They signed O'Hara Davies. To, to a contract. I don't know what's going on with that title. Raleigh Romero currently has the belt. He's on some kind of medical leave. Uh, do you think Ryan Garcia gets a title fight there? I mean, you mentioned Devin Haney. Those two have been talking about a fight for some time. That's an easy fight to make too because Devin Haney is aligned now with Matchroom. Only a one-fight deal with Regis Progre, but if he beats Progre, I think Matchroom has some kind of matching rights. They could make that fight with Ryan Garcia pretty easily. Do you think Ryan Garcia's next fight is for a world title?
3: I do, because like you said, Haney has the flexibility to work with whichever promoter and platform he wants at this point. So uh, that fight certainly would the winner of that fight would be available to him. And people have long wanted to see Devin Haney fight Ryan Garcia with all their amateur um, experiences together and everything. So people would love to see that. And I think people would love to see him fight Teofimo Lopez as well. So uh, Lopez is not going to fight, according to what Bob Aram told me, until the first quarter of next year. Uh, If they, you know, Golden Boy and Top Rank do business together, so there's no reason that fight couldn't happen as well. Those are, those would be the two fights that, that you would want to see Ryan Garcia in next, assuming he beats Oscar Duarte on December 2nd. And those are two fantastic options. I mean, what more could you want, really? I mean, those are the, those are the big names in the 140 pound division, winner of Haney Progray and Teofimo Lopez. So why not?
2: Yeah, 140 is one of the hottest divisions in boxing. Maybe the hottest division in boxing right now. Keith Ideck, senior writer, boxingscene.com. Keith, the second that Andrade Benavidez becomes official, I want you to open up the DraftKings app, and I want to put you to put all put put the house put the house on Demetrius Andrade to win by decision. That is the safest place you could put your money over the next couple of months.
3: Well, I have nothing against Boo Boo. You know, I wish him well in the fight and everything, but. Let's, let's make it a pricey dinner. Make the bet a pricey dinner, because it's going to be on Chris Maddox.
2: <laughs> Deal. Keith, I appreciate the time, man.
3: You're welcome, Chris. Have a good one, man.
2: And when we come back, my conversation with Eddie Hearn. Well, the NFL season is going strong, and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet 5 bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bet. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. My game this week is the New England Patriots. Took a bad loss against Dallas last week. They're giving a point and a half over the Saints. I'm buying into Bill Belichick. I'm buying into Mac Jones having a bounce back week this week against the Saints. So get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code MANIX. New customers can score $250 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code MANIX, M-A-N-N-I-X, only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, licensed partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario, bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbookdraftkingscom football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved.
0: Visit LiveNation.com slash to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. All
2: right, on Saturday, a 126-pound title is on the line when Lee Wood defends his WBA belt against Josh Warrington at Sheffield Arena. That's a fight you could watch live on DAZN. The promoter of that event is the ubiquitous Eddie Hearn. Eddie joins me on the show. Eddie, you're... What? Yeah. The what? Ubiquitous. Love it. Yeah. don't know what it means.
1: Sounds sounds unbelievable.
2: I mean, I'm I'm a writer first and foremost, Eddie, and ubiquitous means everywhere. <laughs> You're everywhere.
1: All right, oh, okay. So I, I, I'm going to use that this week. I loved it, Chris. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Thank you, yeah. All good, mate. All good. Looking forward to a, a great fight. I mean, it's a massive fight here in the UK. You know, you've got two British world champions, really. I mean, Lee Wood reigning uh, two-time world champion. Josh Warrington, a two-time world champion, trying to become a three-time world champion. You know, we have a a city called Nottingham and a city called Leeds. They're about an hour apart, hour and a half apart, and Sheffield's in the middle, and that's where the fight's taking place. So an arena divided on Saturday, and just a really, really great fight stylistically as well.
2: Yeah, and Lee Wood coming off a terrific performance against Mauricio Lara. I want to get into that as well. I want to ask you first, Eddie, for your thoughts on your former fighter, maybe future fighter, Canelo Alvarez. Beats Jermell Charlo uh, out in Las Vegas this past weekend. A pretty disappointing fight for everybody that was involved. Did, did you expect more from Jermell Charlo in that fight?
1: Yeah, weird. I mean, I don't know whether, you know, it's like these guys turn up without any real desire to roll the dice. You know, I mean, I actually looked at him in the change rooms and I thought he looked. he didn't even look in decent shape. Now, is that because he's a 154 going up to a 168? I don't know, but he looked fleshy. He, his body language just wasn't really at the races. And in the ring, he never tried to win the fight once. You know, and I don't know that Canelo's a beast, and he is. And and, and I really feel like, and I said in the interviews before, Canelo will be back to more of himself in this fight. But I think even Canelo would be surprised at the lack of desire from Charlo. We're just weird. And disappointing that, you know, what should have been a mega fight, if you like, really sort of the, the talk, like, you know, I don't know. It's just I don't understand mentally what was going on in there that night. And, you know, a, disappoint, a disappointing fight, I think, has to be said.
2: Do you think there's anybody between 154 and 168? that can compete with this version of Canelo? Because now we're hearing about David Benavidez and how dangerous a fight he is. I- I've always said, Eddie, that to beat Canelo, you have to throw with Canelo. And only two fighters I've seen do it. Gennady Golovkin did it over the course of three fights, and Dmitry Bivol did it a year and a half ago. You- you've got to be willing to throw right hands against Canelo. And Benavidez has looked great up until this point, but it's one thing to throw right hands against Caleb Plant It's another thing to throw them when Canelo Alvarez is standing in front of. Do you think anybody can compete with this guy between 154 and 168?
1: Yeah, I think Benavidez will. I I think Benavidez would come to win, you know, and and that's what Charlo didn't do. You know, you cannot say Charlo came to win because he just didn't. But Benavidez would come to win, you know, and I think it would be a compelling fire. I guess the plan was for Canelo and Charlo to have a great fight and then um, the other brother step in and, you know, almost like Apollo Creed, Rocky Balboa style in Russia, you know, get revenge. But that fight is unsellable now after that performance. So I don't know who they're going to look to next. I mean, I know there's a talk of Crawford. I don't really see that materialising at 168. I think they'll they'll make Benavidez against Andrade and then look to make Canelo Benavidez next May, perhaps. But who will the September fight be? I don't know. You know, it's hard to sell a competitive fight with Canelo versus anyone at the moment outside of, you know, I think Crawford, of course, because of the fascination. And Benavidez is definitely a guy that, that would sell extremely well. And, and maybe that's the fight they look to in September.
2: Well, if they make Benavidez versus Andre, Eddie, don't make any plans. You'll be. Don't He'll make any plans
1: it. for don't make any plans will, for Benavidez make sure Canelo. Uh, <laughs> <I, laughs>
2: Andrade, five year it, it would be about the five-year anniversary of Android winning that middleweight title where he finally got oh, a real is shot. Now? Is he
1: 46 now or something <laughs> like that? I don't
2: know. Still undefeated. Still undefeated, yeah, though, absolutely. that's for sure. Um, one of the stories to come out of Vegas last week is something you've been talking about, and people have been talking about the future of, of Showtime Boxing. Steven Espinoza had multiple opportunities to kind of deny the idea that Showtime was getting out, didn't do it. Um, My question for you, Eddie, is if Showtime bows out in the next few months or only goes to pay-per-view, it will leave DAZN and ESPN as the primary providers in the U.S. And over the last five years, we've seen HBO go out, we've seen Fox go out, we have seen some of the smaller entities go out. You know, in, in the U.S., Sports broadcast rights are gold. You're seeing you know, networks bid billions of dollars for NFL, NBA, NHL. Why is it so difficult for boxing to get it right? Can it get it right when it comes to you know, broadcast rights and making something work long-term?
1: So I think the, the honest reality is, is that some boxing rights are overpriced. And that is mainly down because, because of some fighters' purses are vastly inflated in relation to their commercial value. Like, not all boxing works for broadcasters. I think it's a, it's a sexy sport. I think the digital footprint and noise of the sport is right up there with every major sport in the world. The debate, the interaction. But unfortunately, fighter purses have become so inflated that the maths doesn't work for the broadcaster. And I think that's what you're seeing with Showtime. Now I said a couple of years ago that Showtime would be out of boxing soon. It definitely took a year or so longer than I predicted, but I just felt at the time that they were spending. You know, the amount of money that these these the talent is getting paid doesn't reflect in the numbers. Who are the draws in boxing? And I think they'll remain in pay per view because the model is more consistent, and, and you know, less. You know, there's less risk for the broadcaster of taking a huge bath when it's a pay-per-view model. But I think purses and guarantees and all that kind of stuff will start changing because the reality is is 90% of fighters probably are overpaid in terms of their commercial value. And that's the key part. You know, I think it, fighters deserve as much money as, as possible. It's, you know, they're, they're there to provide entertainment for us. It's a, it's a dangerous sport. But you can't remove the maths from the equation and that is subscriber numbers, ticket sales within the venue and you know I think you're going to start seeing promoters start to not understand that more but start to be firmer in terms of their decisions to make fights even ourselves you know we're in situations lately where a fighter you know a manager might say oh we just need a run out here you know it's like no. We've got, we've got to learn to say no, because the only people that get the blame is us. You know, the fans look at it and say rubbish fight. The broadcaster looks at it and say no one was interested in that fight. We look in the arena and it hasn't generated the ticket sales. So we have to be a little bit firmer by saying no. We must make competitive fights and we must be prepared to walk away from situations that are not beneficial to the sport, the broadcaster and our business just to keep a fighter or just to agree to a request from a manager or a lawyer. So I think Showtime have been a victim of this competitive market where they've had to pay those numbers that quite frankly, haven't made sense for the business. And, okay. and now, and by the way, Showtime leaving boxing is, te- you know, everyone likes to, you know, I know Steven Espinosa's, you know, he's liked, he's disliked. And as like a lot of up figures are in boxing, <laughs> but, To see him out of the sport and Showtime out of the sport, it's really not a gloating moment. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people that are gloating. Not for me. I want as many broadcasters in the sport as possible. And Showtime, a powerful broadcaster that have given us great content. The fact that it hasn't worked for them, Mm. they've tried. And the schedule they've given us this this year has been fantastic. But I think the business will look at it and say, "Mm, we'll just just do Mm. pay-per-views. And, you know, I know there's nothing official. But the lack of resistance from from the story is, you know, is really it tells us what we need to know.
2: So let's apply that approach that you just talked about to Edgar Berlanga, who you met with in Orlando this past week. You want to see Edgar Berlanga in a big fight. Edgar Berlanga will be in a big fight if he's paid what he and his manager want him to be paid. Where do we stand with this? Because it seems like we're trending toward another kind of lesser fight for Edgar Belanga and not the Jaime Munguia fight that everybody wants to see?
1: Well, I think, firstly, it looks like Jaime Munguia hopefully will fight John Ryder in January, which would would be great. And Edgar Belanga needs a fight of that level. You know, it's obviously we're not in the business of just paying for a fight with an opponent that's not compelling, that doesn't sell, that doesn't rate. If you continue doing that as a sport and a business... Your future is, you know, in in no man's land. So, but at the same time, we want to make Belanga against Mungia. So our conversations with Edgar Belanga are, you're going to fight around January time, and then we're going to do a deal at the same time for you to fight Jaime Mungia. Because if you want, you know, if you don't want a big fight in January, you're having a big fight next. So, you know, let's plan together. That strategy, I think everybody on the team is happy to fight Jaime Munguia in May or June after one more, but it's got to be at the right price for everybody. Mm. And and that's what we're going through at the moment to find a compelling opponent for January and to lock in the Munguia fight at the same time. And, you know, if, if Munguia was to beat John Ryder and Belanga was to get a, a win of the same level, then you're talking about a really big fight next summer between the two.
2: Do you have an opponent in mind that makes sense for Berlanga in January,
1: John Ryder. If the Mungia fight doesn't happen, <laughs> you know I don't know. But but of, of that kind of you know that kind of, of level, and and you know it's, it is quite thin at 168. It's not it's not full of you know intriguing fights, but it need we need to find one because we need to provide one for the fight fans for Dazone, and and we need to provide the right fight for Edgar to prepare himself for the likes of Mungia. Mm.
2: The uh, Tyson Fury-Alexander Usyk fight was announced this week. That's one of two huge heavyweight fights that could be made in 2023 or 2024. The other one, obviously, Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua. Tyson Fury and Usyk kind of got the bag over in Saudi Arabia. Can you do a Wilder-Joshua fight without the Middle East and the money they provide?
1: Yeah, I mean, you do it for less money, but you still do it for a huge amount of money, and... You know, I think making those big fights like Joshua, so Wilder, Usyk against Fury, is great for, you know, I call it the ecosystem of boxing. Because I know that Joshua and Wilder are both thinking, right, let's get our fight made, you know? So we've had a number of talks with sites in the Middle East still. We had the option of Las Vegas. I would love to do the fight in Las Vegas. I mean, it would be one of the biggest fights America has seen for a long time. So... um there is constant communication between myself and Shirley Finkel to get it made. You know, we do have the option of a fight in December, which we're mulling over at the moment, but our absolute focus is on Joshua Wilder. And that that's the same for Joshua. And that's the same for Deontay Wilder. So we appreciate the purse might not be exactly the same as a fight in Saudi, but still a huge purse, you know, and it's still a a massive gate in Vegas. It's a massive pay-per-view globally, and it's an incredible heavyweight fight. So, yeah, we're all motivated to try and find a way.
2: We saw Conor Ben run out uh, a couple of weeks ago in Orlando, get his first fight in 17 months. Uh, he said afterwards, and has said publicly, he wants to fight back in the UK in his next fight. Uh, how much, if any, movement over the last couple of weeks has there been with the British Boxing Board of dealing with this appeal for Conor Ben?
1: Well, there's been there's been conversations, um, you know, and we await to see when that appeal will take place at the moment, you know, under the rules, whatever way you want to look at it, he is not suspended and he's cleared to box in the UK or around the world. We want to do the Eubank fight in the UK, but obviously they have to be happy with that. And you know, we we can take the Eubank fight to the Middle East, of which we've had offers to do it. But if you're talking about Joshua Wilder in Vegas, and you're talking about Usyk against Fury in Saudi Arabia, and then you're talking about Eubank against Ben in Abu Dhabi, it's kind of sad times for British boxing. You know, it doesn't just mean the board, you know, should just agree because they need a big fight in the UK, but if legally he's allowed to fight, I would like to explore that option. And December 23rd, Ben Eubank is ready to go if we were given the blessing to do it in the UK. Mm. So those talks can continue, and we'll see where we get to.
2: All right, so Lee Wood, Josh Warrington this weekend. Lee Lee Wood clearly has something left in the tank. That was a brilliant performance against Mauricio Lara. I'm less confident, Eddie, that Josh Warrington has enough left to compete with Lee Wood. Do you believe that Warrington has enough left in the tank after some tough fights?
1: Yeah, I, I disagree. I think, you know, if you look at the Lopez fight, that was a great fight. He had a bad start in that fight. He took the kitchen sink. You know, Warrington has a great chin. And I felt he could have nicked that fight, you know, being at home, being a champion, but a very close fight. That performance looks good, you know, off the back of the Gonzalez fight, and particularly off the back of the Michael Conlan knockout from, from Lopez. Josh Warrington is a determined, tough individual with a tremendous work rate and a great chin. He's going to stick it on Leewood. He's going to attack him from the first belt. Leeward can really punch, but he has been... You know, susceptible at times. You saw him dropped against Connor, dropped against Lara. Warrington, not the biggest puncher, but a huge volume puncher. And this atmosphere is going to be so intense on Saturday. Honestly, tune in on design, it's going to be wild. And I think it's a complete 50 50 fight.
2: You look at the stakes for this fight. Um, top rank right now has been kind of hoarding some of those belts, partly because they want to have Nooya, in a way, have an opponent at 126 pounds if he decides to go up. Lee Wood or Josh Warrington is certainly more marketable than Robisi Ramirez or Luis Lopez. Is there any chance in your mind that the winner of this fight could be a potential candidate to fight Inoue if he decides to fight at 126 next year?
1: Maybe. I mean, it's going to take him to move to that, those kind of numbers to get beat. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> the only way you're going to beat Inoue is it for him to move outside of his, his weight class, really. So, you know, Josh Warrington and Lee Wood, neither are are spring chickens and we just want the biggest fights. And if that comes in the way of a new way, no problem at all. But, you know, I think um, Saturday determines the best featherweight in a division. I truly believe that.
2: Eddie Hearn, ubiquitous as always. Uh, Appreciate your time, Eddie.
1: Cheers, Chris. Speak soon, mate.
2: That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Eidek and Eddie Hearn for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next
0: week. Live Nation for Zets Concert Week.